I have a keen eye for the obvious. Um, if you look at chapter 1, verse 13, there's a little title above that in my Bible that tells you what the next section is about, and it's titled, Be Holy, or Called to Be Holy. And when we use the word holy, what we mean by that is to set apart or to separate or to be separate. And so when we say God is holy, we what we mean is God is set apart. He's separate than us. When we say God is holy, it's an appropriate way of putting some distance, some distance between the creator, God, and his creation. We don't want to get those two things confused. And in the Old Testament, you might remember the temple, within the temple, which itself was a holy place, a separated place. You remember what they called the place that was the most separated place was called the holy of holies. So it, it is the most separated place, and we call that the holy of holies. And so in chapter 1, verse 16, when Peter calls us to be holy, what he means is that we need to be set apart. We need to be separated from our old lives and separated from the ways of the world. And so we're going to look different because there's going to be some separation. It doesn't mean we're not living in the world, but when or as we live in the world, there's going to be some distance between our behavior and our character and our attitude, both from our old character. So I was talking to somebody this week and they said, or actually I was talking to two people who asked me the same question. How do you know if you're a Christian? And there's a lot of ways to answer that, but at least one way is there's a separation between your old life and your new life. And secondly, there's a separation from the ways of the world and the ways that you live your life right now. However, I'm sure you've noticed the, the gravitational pull the gravitational force from our old ways and from the world is extremely powerful. I mean, I can stand up here and say there needs to be a separation from your old ways. There needs to be a separation from the ways of the world. And you would say, you're right. But it wouldn't take you long to take a breath and say, but the gravitational pull from my old ways, the gravitational force from the world to do it in a different way is is very powerful. And I think this is what Paul had in mind in Romans chapter seven when he said this. I find this law at work in me. I find this law like a, the law of gravity. It's working on me. And this is what he said. When I want to do good, what does he say? Evil is right there with me. See, Paul feels that gravitational pull. He understands there needs to be a separation from his old life. There needs to be a separation from the ways of the world. But even when he's following after that, he can feel the gravitational pull for him to move back in to his old ways or his old thinking patterns or the ways of the world. Overcoming the gravitational pull of the earth is the biggest challenge for a mission to outer space. And there's a lot of challenges to take a shuttle or a rocket to outer space, but the first challenge is to break away from the gravitational pull of the earth. And obviously for a space mission to be successful, you have to get into the outer space and you have to separate yourself from the force of gravity on the earth. And how does NASA, NASA, Nassau. See, if my wife were here, she'd go, oh, I married a redneck. Um, 
how does NASA overcome this gravitational pull? Rockets, right? They strap on these big rockets to the space shuttle and the rockets are going to exert more pressure than the gravitational pull. And so as you watch the space shuttle go up, it exerts more pressure. These three booster rockets that are connected to the space shuttle, they boost up off the ground. They have liftoff. They have separation. And in eight minutes, the space shuttle is in outer space. And so just to get a sense of the power that takes, I was looking at this this week, that the typical car engine exerts maybe 200 to 250 horsepower. The space shuttle, the collective horsepower of that those booster rockets is 37 million horsepower. See, it's a, it's a tremendous gravitational pull, and it's going to take these big booster rockets to get lift off. And I would say the gravitational pull for you to stay in your old ways, for you to stay in your old thinking patterns, for you to stay in the ways of the world has the same force of gravity. And it's going to take some booster rockets to strap yourself to, to begin to separate yourself from that. And as I reread this passage, I just imagined uh, in this passage from chapter 1, verse 13 to chapter 2, verse 3, Peter instructing us to say, hey, there needs to be some separation. I'm calling you to be holy. And in order for that separation to happen, you have to strap to your life these three booster rockets that can exert enough energy to create some separation. And those three booster rockets are chapter one, verse 13. You have to prepare. You see that in there in the text. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. And we've talked about that a couple of different ways in previous sermons, so I'm not going to go back to that. But that's the first booster rocket. You have to have a different mindset, and you have to prepare your mind. It's something you actively have to do. Secondly, chapter 2, verse 1, you have to put away. So you have to prepare your mind for something, and then you have to put things away. You have to lay some things aside. You have to rid some things out of your life and Then in chapter 2, verse 2, you have to have a passion. In your version, in the ESV, it says you have to long for. So these, these, in my mind, this is how I picture Peter. He's saying, look, guys, I'm calling you to be holy. A transformation has happened because of the work of the Holy Spirit and what Christ has done on the cross. But now you have to do something. You have to actively strap these booster rockets to your life if you want to see any separation between the ways of the world or your old ways in this new way. And one of them is you have to prepare your mind. A second one is that you have to put away things. And a third one is that you have to have a passion. You have to have a longing, a desire for. So let's look at the second one of those two, put away or rid yourselves. This is the second booster rocket that has to fire off in our life if we want to have any separation. And the word there, put away in Greek, is is giving us a picture of laying aside, laying aside a soiled or, or, or dirty coat. Peter's saying you had a you had a different way of living. You were wrapped in a different mindset. You are wrapped with different habits. And you know what those are. And it's time to take that coat off and lay it down. And now you need to put on a totally different garment, one that is holy, that's 
separate. So that's the picture he's offering us here. And I think that's what uh, the Hebrew writer in chapter 12 said. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance. See, you've got to lay some things aside, some things that you used to be trapped with, some things that used to be entangling to you. You've got to put those things aside. And as followers of Christ, we have to be actively engaged in those things. And notice the five things that then he mentions. You see them? Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. This isn't a complete list of things that you need to put aside, but this is the list that Peter, as he looks at his congregation, these are the five things. These are the, these are the stains on your coat that are, it's time to lay that aside and move in a different direction. And what I think it's helpful to notice about those five Vices is that those vices are all community destroying vices. See, Peter understands that he's talking to this small congregation in Asia Minor and they're under a lot of pressure. They're in the minority. They're they're not powerful. They're, they're going to undergo a lot of persecution as a church. Peter can sense it coming. And you know how you react under pressure? A lot of times the bad side comes out. You, you find out what somebody's like under pressure. Their character gets exposed. And he says, look, you guys are going to be under this enormous pressure. And I'm worried that there's going to be an internal tearing of this community apart if you don't cast aside some of these community-destroying vices. And Peter also remembers sitting at the Last Supper with Jesus. And he says to Peter and the disciples, There's, I'm giving you a new command to love one another. The way people are going to know that you're connected to me is if you love one another. And so Peter understands there's going to be pressure and he understands that the design of this community is that they love one another. So when somebody from the outside comes in and is hungry for something, like Algenay said so well, they see there's a love for one another and there's an attraction to that. And in order to build that kind of community, we've got to put away these five vices. So let's just look at them one at, at a time. Malice. Malice is the old desire that needs to be put away, and that's the old desire to hurt someone or to have uh, wishing them ill. Proverbs 24, 17 says this. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. Do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles or the Lord will see it and be displeased. It's, it's sad, but everyone here knows it. That you see someone fail and there's a weirdness. It makes you feel better. I mean, I don't have to be thinking about it. It just seems to be like my natural reaction at times to go, well, <laughs> guess I'm better than him. There's something about it, and, and the, 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 the proverb writer knows it, and Peter knows it, that this is going to be a community-destroying vice, that you're, you're somehow, you're so concerned about your position and your power and your place that it somehow lifts you up, or you think it does, somehow lifts you up when other people 
fails. So you don't actually have to achieve anything to look bigger if just everybody around you fails. And so there's some weirdness in our mind that you've got to say, I've got to take that off. I, I first am identifying that that's part of my mindset, and I've got to take that off. I've got to lay that aside. It's not right. It's displeasing to the Lord. And so we can't be people who are secretly rejoicing when other people fail. I was listening to a different lecture, on, really on a different topic, and the guy was talking about complaining. And this is, I thought this was funny. He said this, uh, there's an 80-20 rule in complaining. 80% of the people you complain to don't care. And the other 20% are glad you're having problems. <laughs> so, you know, 80% don't even want to hear what you have to say. And the other 20%, hey, I'm glad you're going down. See, we don't want to be that person. We don't want someone to come in and have that sense that there somehow we're, there's there's ill will there. We're wishing people failure in some other way. Oh, they do something different. And no, that's not right. And I just hope they fail. That's we don't want to have that attitude towards one another that that gets picked up on deceit. This is the desire to gain an advantage through deception. And you all would know this word in the Greek because it means baiting. Or decoy. It's the idea that you, you put a decoy out there hoping that, that somebody will be tricked into it like a, a fishing lure. It looks like the real thing, but what do you know? There's a hook in that lure somewhere. And we don't want to be deceiving people. We don't want to be uh, taking, we don't want to be trying to gain an advantage through deception. I don't know if you're familiar with this term, bait and switch. You know that term? It happens a lot, particularly at the holidays. And, you know, the, the, the bait and switch routine is, uh, let's say, uh, um, uh, in a technology store. You pick up a little flyer and it's got the 96 inch television flat screen right on sale for $15. You're like, I'm there. You know, just got to come at 4 a.m., you know, day after Thanksgiving. It's there. And you go in and you are hungry for the flat screen. You have now that you've seen it, you must have a flat screen. It's got to be 96 inches, you know, it's your whole wall. And you get there and what do they say? Oh, we're sold out. No, no matter when you arrive, you're they're sold out. But for the low, low price of five easy payments of three hundred dollars a piece, you can take this flat screen home today. Well, see, it's a bait and switch. They've created a hunger for you. You must have it. It never really was real. But now you walk out with something that's cost you a lot more than $15. It's a bait and switch. It's It's a deception. And we can't have that kind of feeling in the church. And I know you've felt this before by visiting churches. You're trying to see, is it bait and switch in here? I mean, if you've looked, ever looked for a church, that's one, that's like a little radar. Are they going to start asking for my money? Or, I mean, you have whatever your little thing is. You're, you're trying to figure out, is the pastor, is he authentic? Or is this going to somehow turn out to be a, a bait and switch? And Peter's saying we can't allow that in this community with each other, and we can't allow other people to see that happening. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 says this, this To this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow 
in his steps, great, great passage, following in his steps, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. See, what was incredibly attractive about Jesus is that there was never any bait and switch with Jesus. He was completely authentic. And that's one of the most attractive things about a healthy body of Christ is when you come in and say, not that they're perfect, because you know they're not perfect, but they're authentic. There's no deception in who they are, what they say and what they do. Hypocrisy. The desire to be known for something that isn't true. Hypocrisy, the desire to be known for something that isn't true. Or you could turn it around, the desire not to be known for something that is true. See, it's not true, but I want you to know about it. Or it is true, but I don't want you to know about it. And so you begin to hide. You become a hypocrite. I read this sobering article from a blog this week. Until Tuesday, Jack was the pastor of a church outside Chicago. It was one of the largest churches in the state with something like 15,000 people attending each Sunday. Jack's pastorate came to an abrupt and shameful end on Tuesday. Jack had left his cell phone on the pulpit and a deacon had seen it on the pulpit and picked up on it to bring it picked picked it up to bring it back to him. And the deacon then saw a text coming through from a teenage girl in the church. And it was a picture of Jack and this girl making out. See, he, he, something was true. He didn't want anybody to know about it. And one day he was preaching and he just left his cell phone right there. And a deacon came up and said, hey, I'll just give it back to him and Hey, here comes the text. And I wonder for you and for me, is there any little piece of hypocrisy that you've got hidden away somewhere and you just hope nobody finds out about it? See, that that could be the reason you're just on the launching pad and you never get lift off. I mean, you do other things, and as far as I can tell, it looks like you're doing all the right things, but you never really get separation because in your pocket you've got this little thing that you're hiding and that it's not a little thing. It's strapping you. It's like a prison. It's like a chain around you, and you never get any separation because you've got this little piece of hypocrisy that somehow you've hidden away and you hope nobody else sees it, but it is true about you. And so Peter's asking us to really have a very tough self-examination. If we want to be an authentic community, if we want to live through these pressure-packed times, we do not have to be perfect. We can confess our sins one to another, but we can't hide and hope that nobody really sees who we really are. So hypocrisy is one of the things. Envy. The fourth of the list, a desire for what others have or feelings of resentment about what others possess. I either want what they have, 
or I don't necessarily want what they have, but I resent that they have it. An envious person is someone who's always aware of positioning and power. Where am I in the chart? Where do I line up? What I'm concerned about where I am. And so yeah, Peter is saying we can't have that. And envy is a potent effect on a congregation. And, and what can happen is we would all say, sure, we come to the cross and at the foot of the cross, we're all equal. We're all sinners. We're all need of a savior. And we would all say, yes, we're all, we're all in that condition. But what happens at the foot of the cross so often is we're down there. We're at the foot of the cross. We're kneeling down saying, yes, I'm, I'm in this position before Christ. But then you start looking sideways. Where did he get those shoes? I mean, that's a nice pocketbook. Have you seen the neighborhood he lives in or the car he drives or? And, and the list is just endless, is it not? And you're no longer looking at the cross, you're looking sideways. And there's a position, positioning in some way that you're, you wish you had what they had. I wish I had kids who were like that. I wish I had a spouse who was like that. I wish I looked like that. I wish I had that kind of money or career or whatever it is. And we're now just looking sideways. And Peter is saying, you can't be looking sideways. You gotta be, always be looking at Jesus. So envy is a big problem. And think about Peter saying this. Positioning and power. Where did where did Peter learn what Jesus thought about his sideways looking? It was at the Last Supper. Here, Jesus is just hours before he dies. Luke 22 says this. Just just try to. Feel the impact of this passage. Luke 22, Jesus and his apostles were reclining at the table. And Jesus says, you know, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Guys, this is the last supper. This this is the this is the plan. It's not just the three year plan. It's not the 33 year plan. This is the eternal plan of God that's going to break forth just in a few minutes. And you're the twelve. They get to eat this last supper. And I've been waiting for this moment to share it with you guys. And so he took the bread. He gave thanks. He broke it. He gave it to them. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he takes the cup. This is the cup of the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out for you. Then, listen, a dispute arose among the disciples as to which one was the greatest. Isn't that painful? Here it is, the very last supper. And Jesus said, I'm going to suffer. But I've, I've wanted you guys to be in the room with me at this critical moment. And instead of looking at Jesus, what are they doing? They're looking at each other. And they're saying, well, I think I'm a little bit better than half these guys in this room. So I got to be in the upper tier. Maybe Peter's there saying, I got to have the first chair. And James and John are saying, no, no, why are you the first, always the first one? Why isn't it so painful? Envious of position and power and looking at each other. How does Jesus answer 
this argument. They're, he's trying to give this Last Supper. They're having this dispute. And what does he say? He doesn't really say anything. He demonstrates something. He takes off his robe, puts on a towel, and washes the disciples' feet. You can imagine the pain of that moment. And Jesus is saying, this, I'm looking for people that are going to do this, guys. This is what power is. This, I'm looking for people who want this position. Envy is a community-destroying vice that we have to lay aside. Finally, slander literally means talking down. It's a desire to tear down people verbally, usually to lift yourself up. One commentary gave the following definitions of slander, false accusation. The exaggeration of faults that are real. Yeah, he's got those faults, but I'm going to make them bigger. That's slander. The needless repetition of real faults. And finally, I thought this was so helpful, whispering with the simulation of regret. You know, he's so stupid. It's too bad. Paul's so dumb. (laughs) I mean, there's a simulation of I regret that Paul is so dumb. But you see what it is? It's really slanderous. And because you whisper it and you have a sense of regret in your voice, it's okay. And Peter says it's not okay. That's called slander. One, one rocket that's got to be strapped to us if we want to have any lift off, if we want to have any separation, is we have to prepare our mind. The second is we have to put things aside, and he gives us this list. And finally, you have to have a passion. Look at verse 2. You have to long for, like newborn infants, long for, desire, crave this pure spiritual milk. What's going to create this lift off is this longing or this passion. And the Word of God is the pure spiritual milk that Peter is referring to. And, and he borrows this term, this, this feeling of being fed by the Word of God from a number of places in the Bible, Deuteronomy 8. The Lord humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Psalm 119.20, my soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. Psalm 119.131, I open my mouth and pant, longing for your commands. Job 23, I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. Jeremiah 15, when your words came, I ate them. They were a joy to my heart's delight. And the question I have to ask you, that Peter is asking all of us, is do you have a hunger that you would say is a craving for the word of God? If you don't, you're not going to get lift off. You're not going to get separation. There's something about this that Peter is saying you've got to have a craving for. What if you don't have the desire for that? What if you just honestly make an assessment and say, you know, I don't desire to read God's word. Can you create a desire? Answer. 
Yes, you can. How is the desire most of the time created? Discipline. But I don't really want the discipline. I just want the desire to somehow come upon me. It doesn't happen that way. I would love that, too. I only want to feel nice things for my wife. And when I don't, I don't want to have the discipline to do nice things for my wife. Well, that's not going to make a good marriage. So, yes, you can create a hunger. And if you don't have that hunger, it can be created through discipline. And then as you become disciplined to something, then you become hungry for it. Yes, I do have a hunger for that now. And I didn't have it until I really implemented the discipline. So he's saying you've got to have a discipline. You have to have have a hunger for this uh, spiritual milk. And notice that it's pure. It's dilu- it's not contaminated. It's not diluted. It's free of additives. It's It's really why we here at Christ Community Church preach the way that we preach. And so if you're here as a visitor, I want you to know this is a critical of critical importance to us that you come, that you have your Bible, that you have it open and that you read the word of God. I'm trying my best to deliver to you undiluted truth of God's word. That's what you must have every Sunday. You must have it. And so it can't be diluted. It can't be contaminated. It can't have any additives. And so you've got to have your Bible with you. You've got to have your eyes on the text and you've got to be looking at it yourself. And it's my responsibility to deliver that on Sunday mornings. And then Peter, like every good preacher, he gives a great picture, a a visual. So in case you don't know what he's talking about, you can get the picture. It's like a newborn infant. Peter is married And we don't know that he has children, but we just don't have any reason to think that he probably didn't have children. Certainly, he would have had intersection with children for sure. But probably he has his own children. And if he does, as a father, he understands what that cry at 2 a.m. means. I have to have something right now. I have a craving. And I don't care if you're tired or sick or anything else. It's got to be answered right now. And Peter understands he can't answer that call. So he's like, honey, that's your call. Everybody understands that. You have an infant that's crying. The infant or the let's say the infant's two at two o'clock in the morning. He or she wakes up. They don't go. You know, it's still dark outside. I bet mom would really appreciate a good night's sleep. I'll just wait. I'll go back to sleep. No, that's not what they do. And you will respond, will you not? Enough crying will get a response. You see, that's what that's what's so helpful about the picture is, is it's such a craving. It will be satisfied. That's what he's saying. You're going to have such a craving that it, you just can't go very far. You can't do very much without satisfying this particular hunger for the word of God, because it's the rocket booster that's strapped, that's exerting all this horsepower to give me separation from my old ways and the ways of the world. That's the work of God in our souls. And we have to have that perfectly strapped to our bodies. So are you crying out? Are you longing for? Are you craving the word of God? One one final question that goes with this is. 
What are you feeding yourself on? Everyone here is feeding their mind. Everybody here is feeding their souls. Everybody here is feeding themselves. It's not a question of whether you are or not feeding yourself. It's a question of what it is you're feeding yourself. And so what is your diet? What's your regular buffet look like? And somebody told me this story. They told it as a true story, and I do think it was true. And it was probably somebody that was here. So I would give you credit if I could remember But I can't remember. And so this is what they said. They said they had a friend who wanted to buy a a hog. He had enough room, whether it was in his backyard, he lived out on a farm or something. And he was going to feed the hog until the hog got to slaughtering weight. He'd have it slaughtered and then he'd have bacon and pork chops, you know, coming out of his freezer. And so he thought, okay, fine, instead of buying all this stuff, I'll just have the hog out back and I'll feed the hog. And then when it gets up to whatever, 300 pounds or whatever they are, then I'll have it killed and I'm set. He said, so he got his hog and the guy drove like a hostess cupcake truck. You know, so one of these hostess cupcake trucks goes around. He goes into the Scotchman. He takes the things off the shelf that are old, right, past the expiration date. He puts them in his truck. Guess who gets the expiration date? Honey bun. The hog. So it didn't take long for the hog to put on some weight because he's eating hostess cupcakes and Twinkies all day long. And so the, the hog gets to a weight. He takes the hog to the butcher and he's like, oh, man, this is going to be awesome. And the, he leaves and the butcher calls him and said, hey, you got to come back and see this. And so he comes back and he has cut up this hog has almost no meat on it. All fat. Little strand of muscle, but all fat. So there's nothing here that's useful. Why? Steady diet of honey buns. See, but that really could be you. You have a steady buffet of QVC, of ESPN. And you know every statistic there can be about college basketball or baseball or football. You know every sale. You're connected to Fox News and you can't be disconnected because the next Fox News alert, which is not an alert at all, is going to tell you something important about your life. You've got Xbox and you know how to get from one level to the next and you can talk about it all day long, but you're just feeding on junk. And you don't ever get any lift off. And Peter's saying, we've got to have the pure spiritual Word of God, because the pressure, if you haven't felt it, it's coming on you. And you're going to need to exercise some spiritual muscle that you're going to need just like that. And if you've been eating QVC and Fox News and ESPN and um, and um, all that. (laughs) You're not going to have any you're not going to have any lift. And so, are you preparing your mind? Do you have that rocket strapped to you in order to get separation? Have you set aside everything? Have you said, hey, you know what, that was my old life. It's killing me. 
See, a lot of people, they've got one rocket firing, but something else is grounding them. And you know what happens? They're just driving themselves into the ground over and over. And when I talk to them, they say, well, I've got my Bible study, but I can't give up this thing that's nailed me to the ground. So have you really set it aside? And do you have a hunger, a longing, a craving for God's word? That's how we get separation. Let's pray together. Or it's such a practical sermon. Peter understands his own faults and failings. He's he's experienced it himself. He he's trying to encourage, exhort, um, challenge this congregation that he has. And he's trying to challenge us as well. To examine our our lives, are we getting any separation from our old ways? Are we getting any separation from the ways of the world? And and if we're not, then what is it about us that we need to really examine and say, it's time to lay some things aside. It's time to have a hunger for the word of God instead of the things of the world. It's time to prepare our minds. And so I, I pray, Lord, that whatever peace that you want your servant to hold on to today. They would have known today that they came here and you spoke to them about that issue and they would address it immediately. I pray in Jesus name. Amen.